0: Hello and welcome to The More Show. I'm your host, Kevin Moore, and for the next hour, I'll cover subjects of an alternative variety that most shows do not touch. On today's show, I'm joined by author and researcher William Thomas to discuss his work on chemtrails. So stay tuned, enjoy, and I'll be right back.
1: Mr. Show or a
0: guest want to know more about The More Show and upcoming guests? Then log on to www themoreshow.co.uk is the sound. Welcome back to the show. I'm about to be joined by our guest, William Thomas. Show. Now, William and is an award-winning host, journalist, specialising in the news that mainstream media does not report. During and immediately after the Gulf War, he served five months in Saudi Arabia and Kuwait as a member of a three-man environmental emergency response team. As a professional journalist since the mid-1960s, his writing and photography have appeared in more than 50 publications in eight countries. William is the author of five books, as well as several electronic books, dealing with cell phones and other electromagnetic hazards. Of course, many listeners know William Thomas for his work in uncovering chemtrails. He also wrote the first published book on 9-11. His latest book, Days of Deception, Ground Zero and Beyond, is the most recent and most thoroughly documented report on the agents and agendas behind the terror attacks of September 11, 2001. William Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Kevin. Pleasure to be with you and your listeners.
0: It's a pleasure to have you on, William. So, tell us, how did you get involved in studying the subject of chemtrails?
1: Well, I did. Wor- I used to work for Environment News Service, an international wire service dealing with environment. And in December '97, the managing editor Jim Crabtree called me up uh, here in Canada on the west coast and said, "Look into a report." by a Mr. William Wallace, a resident of Eastern Washington State, living remotely with his wife, and he has reported airplanes crisscrossing the skies above their home, spreading uh plumes that instead of dissipating quickly like normal contrails, uh widen and spread across the sky until the entire sky is obscured. Now Mr. Wallace had sent some VHS videotape which I reviewed. And at first, I was looking at it, and I thought, well, these are just contrails. I've been a former pilot, and ocean sailor. I certainly know what contrails are. But as I continued to watch the tape, I saw what he was describing. And indeed, the entire sky became obscured over a short period of time. And I realized uh, that the persistence of these plumes and their characteristics did not match contrails. And that's how I got started. Now, I contacted Mr. Wallace, interviewed him. He led me to other uh, people who had seen these strange trails, and in the end, that is within a few months of my preliminary research, I had hundreds of interviews and email reports from people right across the United States, also in Canada, all reporting the same thing, uh, very unusual trails in the sky. And, of course, these were adults, some of them professional people, pilots, uh, military people trained observers, and they said, we've never seen anything like this before. And that's how I got started in this story, and it's been going on for some 12 years now.
0: So in your opinion, just for the the listeners out there who aren't too sure, what's the difference between a a contrail and a chemtrail?
1: Well, we can stick with science and facts. Um, We don't need opinion there. Contrail is a normal condensation trail, and it's like your breath exhaled on a cold winter day, and you see your breath expand in a cloud and then quickly disappear. The exact same thing happens at high altitudes in very cold, moist air. Now, NASA and NOAA, the uh, atmospheric science organizations, tell us that contrails form only above 34,000 feet when the air is less than minus 70 degrees Fahrenheit. The temperature is minus 70 degrees. Fahrenheit or less, and humidity 70% or higher, so quite cold and quite humid, and then the hot, moist engine exhaust can briefly form a condensation or contrail. Those same organizations, NASA and NOAA, tell us that most contrails uh, last for 20 seconds or less. A few might linger uh, longer, but that's very rare, so that's a contrail. Now, a chemtrail, and I first coined that word in February 98 for the Environment News Service, at least I I certainly popularized that word. A chemical trail leaves a plume that uh, stays in the sky for many hours, and chemtrails are rarely seen alone. What we most commonly see are X patterns, parallel rows, tic-tac-toe-like grids in the sky, And, of course, uh, airliners do not fly those kind of traffic patterns, uh, particularly over rural areas where they're rarely seen. So chemical trails last a long time. And another giveaway is that if the sun is behind them, we often see a prismatic or rainbow effect in the sky through those chemical trails, indicating, scientists have told me, indicating the presence of chemicals in the air.
0: Okay, so let's let's get this straight. You've been involved in this for 11, sorry, 12 years now. In your opinion, then, what's going on? What's the ultimate purpose of them?
1: Well, again, um, I'd rather leave my opinion out of it and go to source. And uh, one of our best sources is the manager for air traffic controllers on the northeastern seaboard in the United States. And in March 2001 an ABC affiliated radio reporter ST Brent and her partner Lou out in rural Maine uh, Parsonsfield Maine went outside and counted 30 jets weaving patterns over their house now they were not used to seeing any commercial aircraft over their home uh, ST Brent called her assistant news director Richard Dean at WMWV radio station in town he went out with his new staff they counted 370, 370 lines in the sky so she got on the phone and started calling air traffic controllers and finally reached this air traffic control manager who we've came to call deep sky to protect his anonymity he was afraid for his family and of course his career and in three taped interviews this faa government official u.s. government official confirmed that indeed controllers were seeing formations of U.S. Air Force tankers on their scopes um, and that they were uh, spraying something behind them that did reflect on radar scopes to the point that controllers across the United States were being told to bring in commercial airliners below these tankers because the chemicals they were spraying obscured radar scopes. And finally, this uh, person told us before witnesses, that um, they were being told these were climate modification operations over the United States and Canada. So we have a top FAA official uh, describing this program back in 2001.
0: So in in your research then, when did uh, chemtrails start to be noticed? I mean, how how long uh, ago was this?
1: Well, as I said, I got the first call in December 97, and people really started reporting them in 1998. And you might recall in England uh, that winter, you had a severe outbreak of flu-like illness that was not the flu, and in fact, an epidemic of mortalities in the UK and the United States that winter. Again, most people testing negative for the flu. Uh, I reported uh, the BBC reporting that um, refrigerator trucks had been pressed into service as temporary morgues in London and other locales in the UK because of the extensive deaths, Uh, and I had a friend come back with videotape of chemtrails over London at that time. could not prove there's a direct correlation, but definitely that was the biggest change in people's local environment at that time.
0: So, I mean, how, how do we know that uh, chemicals are being sprayed from these, I suppose, specially modified chemical spraying planes, if, if they are such a thing?
1: Well, we have uh, laboratory tests. We have a uh, 1994 patent issued to the Hughes Aircraft Corporation for the spreading of wells particles in the atmosphere. wells particles are simply highly reflective chemical particulates. That reflects sunlight back into space, at least a portion of it, and also change the heat trap between the Earth's atmosphere and the upper atmosphere into far infrared wavelengths. So hopefully it will radiate back into space. Uh, this patent issued in 94, uh, warned that the visual whitening of the sky might, uh, engender opposition from people on the ground. They, the patent called for putting aluminum oxide particles, very tiny particles, 10 microns across in jet fuel and spraying it at altitude. So that was the chemical signature uh, we began looking for. And in fact, in the summer of 98, uh, people in Espanola, Ontario, here in Canada, became very upset uh seeing planes crisscross their area spraying something and their children especially started getting very sick over a fifty square mile area and they um the people of Espanola became very concerned. They got the Ministry of Environment involved. The ministry did air sample tests and at a public meeting in August ninety eight refused to release their findings and a near riot ensued. It made national news here in Canada and uh, uh, a person in Espanola, Ben McNenley, took samples of uh, rain falling through these chemical clouds and had it analyzed at a laboratory and sent me that lab report. So we actually have a lab report showing very high levels of uh, reflective aluminum oxide and uh, also uh, high levels of aluminum oxide, again, matching the patent seven times higher than the provincial maximum safety levels for Ontario. So that lab test uh, was the first real confirmation of chemicals falling out of the sky from these trails. In, uh, I think it was 2002, in Edmonton, Alberta, uh, Dave Dickey owned a landscape company there, worked for the city, and they noticed plants dying, trees sickening, And they measured the electrical conductivity of the soil at a number seven. And one is the standard and normal electrical conductivity in the soil there in Alberta. So very high levels of electrical conductivity. He, too, took samples of snow falling through uh, these chemical trails or chemtrails and had it analyzed and sent me that report. And it showed very high levels of aluminum oxide, again, matching the patent, and very high levels of barium. Barium, another very highly reflective uh, chemical. So we had, uh, at least uh, in my possession and my knowledge, two tests from independent laboratories showing uh, high levels of aluminum oxide, among other constituents. Uh, finally, in September uh, '05, we had two Lawrence Livermore scientists working at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio this is where the Tesla patents are this is Wright-Patterson is in charge of the Harp transmitter up in Alaska and they're also heavily involved in the chemtrails project these scientists working on the project told uh, Columbus Alive magazine reporter Bob Fitrakis an award-winning reporter told him that they were working on two projects One involved spraying sunlight-reflective aluminum oxide to slow global warming, just as our FAA official had said. The second project was spreading barium, which we also found in our lab test, to bounce radar and radio beams over the horizon. And uh, interestingly, California uh, continues to report inexplicably very high levels of barium. They don't know where it's coming from and when uh, KSLA News 12 in Louisiana investigated chemtrails in early 2009, they had a lab test water samples, and they, too, reported barium levels three times the toxic level set by the Environment Protection Agency. So we do have direct matches with aluminum oxide and barium.
0: So we'll go back to the, uh, the side effects of the, uh, the chemicals on, on, on us as a population. But um, just so that I've got this right, when, when you see these planes going overhead and they're laying a thick white line coming out of the plane and that white line isn't dissipating at a very quick rate, it's, you know, it's staying there for a long while, that you would class as a possible chemtrail. But if that, if that is the case as well, what happens to that, that trail? Does it disperse or what becomes of the, the trail as well?
1: I, yes, and uh, first of all, uh, a possible chemtrail is a, is a very good uh, response. I rarely classify single lines in the sky as chemtrails again, I'm looking for the x's, the grid patterns, the parallel rows, in other words, multiple aircraft flying in some kind of formation uh, airliners are prohibitive for, from that kind of activity so that's the first thing I look for as we watch those trails blend together and obscure the sky so that people who are not in the habit of looking up or simply get up and go out to work in the morning and look up and say oh it's another cloudy day even though the television and radio announcers are forecasting a sunny day people say oh it's just clouds so it it. Basically, these trails obscure the entire sky and they're meant to shield uh, the sky from uh, UV sunlight and to reflect sunlight. So the idea, uh, the U.S. Air Force calls it aerial obscuration. They say in their report, Owning the Weather 2025, that weather force specialists flying tanker planes uh, will spread chemicals to obscure the sky. So basically, we have a milky, murky, Overcast and this drifts downwind and at altitude. And of course, the particulates um, fall out of these chemical trails uh, and eventually settle to earth, settle into uh, water bodies, settle into people's bodies. And the controllers, the air traffic controllers, in the United States continuously express concern uh, that um, the fallout from what they're observing on their radar scopes had to be impacting human health. One controller even went to a city emergency room on a heavy spray weekend and was uh, very concerned to find the place packed with patients suffering from acute asthma and allergy attacks. And finally, In fact, we find that all across the U.K., Canada, United States. When heavy chemtrail spraying is observed, emergency rooms are invariably uh, very crowded that, that day.
0: Okay, now look, we've, we've mentioned the uh, barium chemical. What are the side effects on uh, us humans?
1: Well, the barium can be, uh, depending on what type of barium it is, uh, can be toxic, can lead to gastrointestinal problems uh, in, in particular. The aluminum oxide, uh, I've talked to scientists and doctors, they say, well, that's basically inert, that's almost like sand. Uh, it's a very common element. It is not refined aluminum that has been linked to Alzheimer's, uh, although that's under dispute now. We do notice, however, in the wake of chemtrail spraying, that people's concentration falls off; they, uh, their short-term memory goes. This happened in uh, Espanola, a very small town, where people couldn't even find where they remember where they parked their cars. So we do seem to have some uh, mental short-circuiting. Uh, associated with the spraying that goes away as soon as the spraying stops. But much more important than the uh, chemical toxicity of these chemtrails is the fact uh, I mentioned that these were being sprayed at 10 microns or smaller. Now, a human hair is 100 microns across. So 10 microns is indeed microscopic. And the EPA in the United States calls any particulate, 10 microns or smaller, an extreme human health hazard. Those are their words. And the problem is that very small particulates, even if they are not toxic in themselves, uh, enter through the lungs, pass into the bloodstream, can congregate around the heart, lead to inflammation of the heart, lead to heart attacks and death, as well as, I've mentioned, the allergy attacks, the asthma. Uh, severe asthma, so the particulate size is of high concern. And remember that when Dr. Edward Teller proposed spreading this atmospheric sunscreen at an international seminar on planetary emergencies back in 1998, he called for spreading 10 million tons of these microscopic particles in the atmosphere. And today we have uh, the United States... Uh, the U.K., some European countries looking at uh, new geoengineering proposals to spread 20 million tons of these very tiny particulates in the sky. And scientists involved with this are, again, very concerned, among other things, about the human health ramifications of spreading these pollutants uh, in the atmosphere.
0: I mean, is there any sort of health um, cases that, that can be sort of linked to this Do you, that you know of?
1: Well, anecdotally, uh, again, we have hospital emergency rooms jammed with people uh, on the heavy chemtrail spray days and then back to normal when the spraying stops. So while that's not proof in itself, we can ask, as any doctor would ask, Uh, someone comes in suddenly ill, what has changed in your environment? And in all of these cases, I'm tracking dozens and dozens of reports of, I mean, front-page newspaper reports of hospital rooms overflowing, uh, the patients testing negative for the flu, nobody knowing what this is. And all of those cases correspond to local people in those areas reporting heavy chemtrails on those days. So to me, the, the amount of evidence is conclusive that there is a direct link uh, with spraying these small particulates and human health effects on the ground. We also have another issue here in that uh, early on, I wondered if these uh, chemtrails were bringing down to Earth bacteria fungi and viruses that breed and live in the upper atmosphere never come to earth and scientists uh, uh, have discovered that these small critters if you like are very much involved with uh, weather and cloud formation very important and I wondered if the chemtrails might be bringing them to earth where we breathe them and of course our bodies our immune systems have no defense against uh, something that's been mutated at high altitudes by UV radiation uh, and that we've never encountered before. And I was very interested to hear the Lawrence Livermore scientists independently express the exact same concern without being prompted by uh, reporter Bob Fitrakis. And they said, yeah, we're very concerned that bacteria, viruses, living organisms might be brought to Earth uh, piggybacking, if you like, on these chemicals, and that would make people very ill indeed.
2: Okay,
0: um, it's an interesting point of view what you've got to say there. Um, and you mentioned before about the crisscrosses and the plumes, um, but what about the increase in air traffic causing this the, this sort of problem?
1: There certainly has been a large increase in air traffic. We know that the atmosphere is becoming warmer. Um, We've had the warmest decade, the warmest 12 months, the warmest six months, the last warmest three months on record. Uh, So definitely the air is warming up, and warmer air holds more water or moisture, uh, so it is uh, more moist and more apt to form condensation trails. The problem is with the increased air traffic argument is that the air traffic has increased gradually over many years, and what we found with chemtrails is a very sudden, that is one day to the next, appearance of multiple aircraft in skies where they're not commonly seen, and this might go on for a day, several days, a week or two, and then it suddenly stops, and maybe it starts again a month later, a few weeks later. Uh, Scheduled air routes obviously don't work this way. Uh, Airliners fly the same Um, routes um, on a daily basis. So the sudden stopping and starting of these trails would indicate that they are certainly not um, normal, that's not normal airline traffic. We have definitely had an increase of condensation trails or contrails and that too very much affects climate. Uh, Contrails are not harmless Uh, They're very dangerous to the environment. They contribute substantially to trapping heat and to global warming. Uh, However, the uh, chemtrails added to this have, uh, in my opinion now, resulted in something that scientists are calling global dimming, where the amount of sunlight reaching the Earth has drastically been reduced uh, in the last few decades since the jet age took off. And I believe that that's a result of heavy air traffic that you're mentioning, and very heavy chemtrail spraying. Remember also the chemtrails that are at altitude um, are a far longer duration in the sky than normal condensation trails.
0: They must be uh, spraying the skies every day then to sort of uh, you know to to cause this kind of mass dimming.
1: In in some locations, um, they have been daily. And, of course, again, it spreads downwind, so they can cover very wide areas. These airplanes can typically fly 1,000 or 2,000-mile missions. They cover a lot of sky, and uh, as these trails spread out and move downwind, they can cover very, very large areas. It's very interesting to me that in the winter of 2000, that is December of 2000, Mark Stedham in Houston, Texas, used Flight Explorer software to identify the airplanes overhead uh, as commercial airplanes or military. And during four months of monitoring, he found that almost every commercial contrail that he identified lasted 30 seconds or less. I think there were two exceptions lasting 20 minutes, but all the rest were, most of them, under 20 seconds. At the same times of these observations, in basically the same airspace, the trails left by very big military aircraft persisted four to eight hours. So when we look up and we see a fat white plume behind a high-flying jet and we see a pencil-thin scrawl behind another jet that soon fades away or another aircraft that is trailing no plume at all, we can say that the first must be a chemical trail because the other jets in the same airspace are spreading no contrail at all. And in fact, we're told by scientists in Boulder, Colorado, at the National Atmospheric and Climate Research Center, that the only way, the only way to form plumes in the sky when you have fairly warm temperatures at altitude and a lack of moisture is to put particulates in the exhaust of the aircraft, more particulates will allow more water droplets to form around them and form clouds. So if we see plumes on a warm summer day, we can be certain that particulates, uh, additional particulates
0: are responsible for those plumes. Okay, William, we're gonna take a break there, so stay tuned, we'll be right back. To connect with the show, email kevin at themoreshow.co.uk You're listening to The Moore Show, and here's your host, Kevin Moore. Welcome back to the show. I'm currently joined here with our guest, William Thomas. William, is there any government documentation or secret military memo to do with chemtrails?
1: We, we have the report, as I mentioned, people can Google that online, Owning the Weather 2025, and that was an Air Force report speculating that they would soon have these technologies to obscure the sky using uh... tanker planes and that they could control the weather for military purposes now the air force claims well we were just hypothesizing but we notice over uh, over many years historically that militaries everywhere uh, float these trial balloons uh... with leaked reports and documents supposedly leaked reports that um prepare the public for what they're actually doing. You can be certain that by the time the military tells you about any project they're involved in, um, they've already done it and moved beyond that into the next phase. So we do have Owning the Weather 2025, Um, and that's, uh, I think, a significant uh, military report. We also, in October 2001, have Congressional Representative Dennis Kucinich in Ohio in the United States and he tabled house resolution 2977 and that resolution sought to ban exotic weapons in space including harp and section 7 sought a ban on chemtrails used the word chemtrails and said we need to outlaw uh chemtrails and this was a a bill submitted to congress uh to become law and because of the uproar that followed his resolution uh was replaced by a second resolution that omitted references to chemtrails. So back to your question, when Representative Kucinich was asked why would he introduce a bill banning something that the U.S. Air Force was calling a hoax. He replied that as the head of the Armed Forces Oversight Committee uh, that he knew that there's an entire program in the Department of Defense called Vision for 2020 That's developing these weapons. So as the head of the Armed Forces Oversight Committee, uh, Mr. Kucinich was directly uh, appraised of and involved in Vision for 2020 and the Chemtrails program. Finally, when he ran for the President of the United States in 2004, uh, Mr. Kucinich was in Santa Cruz, California, and at a public meeting, he was asked if Chemtrails were real, and his reply was yes
0: okay so have you ever had any official response from you know questions raised by yourself then
1: well certainly many people have uh including myself have written uh letters to department of transport environmental uh, ministries and agencies and my book chemtrails confirmed 2010 uh which is available on my website willthomasonline.net uh, that book um does record some of the replies that people have gotten back from uh, various government agencies, and all of them uh, either say, We are not responsible for this, it's not in our jurisdiction, or they flatly deny that it's going on. Most of them uh, ascribe it to uh, increased air traffic, which I think we pretty well demolished that argument, and some uh, say, Well, talk to the noise abatement people and try to shift the entire argument uh, to to something else. So long answer, short answer, we have no, of course, no government admissions that this is going on, but we are now in an age of governments openly talking about geoengineering the planet. Uh, You recall that uh, Mr. Obama's very first uh, press conference with his National Science Advisor, um, very first conference, told reporters at the White House that uh, the climate situation is becoming so extreme that we might have to use, quote, radical measures to uh, address climate change. And so one of Obama's first acts was to talk about um, climate modification, to cool Earth's air, as his science advisor, John Holdren, told reporters so now it's it's really out of the closet we have the UK uh, the Parliament there in your country meeting to discuss climate modification through spreading reflective uh, particles in the atmosphere we have the United States Congress meeting to discuss uh, spreading chemicals in the air for something called solar radiation management Uh, We have a U.S. Congressional Geoengineering Committee meeting uh, since November 2009 to look at the implications of what they call large-scale climate intervention. Uh, Mr. Putin in Russia uh, is involved in in these experiments. And interestingly, Kevin, since um, this has all become quite public, at least in Europe uh, I've been getting uh, calls and requests for uh, interviews, and even some of the bigger broadcasters are starting to pick up this story. So it's really coming to the fore now, um, and to the point where the United Nations is now involved,
0: so it's, in
1: trying to stop this.
0: Sure, sure. So you, you're pretty sure that that uh, the, you know, the, it's it's not just a U.S. thing. This is a worldwide um, program. Um, So it's it's either got two uses then, I suppose. You've mentioned climate modification there, but what about for weapon technology?
1: Uh, Absolutely. The barium, as I mentioned, to reflect radar and radio over the horizon, has a direct military application for military operations. Also can be used for 3D mapping. So it's a very important part of the um, program, uh, at least overseas. And by that, I mean uh, Afghanistan in particular, we noticed uh, chemtrails being sprayed there, uh, apparently to help fly the, uh, the drones, these uh, robotic aircraft that are killing so many people. Um, the chemtrails allow a temporary aerial antenna to direct link radio transmissions to these drones. So there is a direct military application beside the admitted objective of controlling weather, say, causing rain, flooding, or droughts, or uh, similar weather extremes over a, quote, enemy nation. So direct military application, absolutely.
0: But why not just, you know, admit that uh, they're using it for climate modification? I mean, if if they know something we don't, and they're trying to, uh, you know, help stop an impending disaster or whatever, why not just just come clean with it?
1: Well, I think the, the quick answer is that for many years, governments uh, in your country, mine, the United States, have been denying um, climate change. Now, Britain has certainly changed its its voice on that, its government vo- uh, opinion on that in recent years, but for many years of chemtrail spraying, governments denied that this was much of a problem, if any kind of problem at all. So governments do not like to come out and contradict themselves and say, well, we were lying before or we didn't know what was going on before. So they're not going to admit uh, a problem this grave, in other words, a planetary emergency, um, at least up until now. Now, with enough uh, public concern over climate shift, uh, global warming, governments have to be seen to act. They are not going to do what scientists and many people are urging, that is, um, call for drastic cuts in carbon emissions to get at the root of the problem they know that they certainly won't be uh... reelected or even remain in office very long if they do so the the inclination is to go with the quick fix with this aerial sunscreen among other geoengineering applications and i would tell you that um, i expect governments to come out very soon next year or two and start pushing very hard publicly uh... for an openly admitted geoengineering program they may not admit that they've been doing this for twelve years they may refer to previous quote experiments but i think that uh, we're about to see announcements from governments uh... in europe uh... uk united states north america saying that we now we need to do this Um, The situation is simply too dire, and I think they'll get a lot of backing among people who don't want to give up their SUVs here in North America, don't want to give up their lifestyles, don't want to stop a very wasteful uh, and dangerous way of life. So I'm expecting this to come out of the closet. Remember that Obama press conference did um, talk about this right away, and I think they were kind of uh, warming the public up uh, to this notion. So stay tuned on that.
0: But uh, most people right now wouldn't be able to accept that their governments are spraying their population with chemicals, would they?
1: Well, you've had revelations uh, in your own country showing that from, what, the 1940s to seventy nine, the British government was spraying uh, chemical warfare simulants over the population, uh, cancer-causing simulants to measure the drift and dispersion of chemical weapons, biological weapons. We had the same spraying program, uh, 60 years of it, over the United States, also here in Canada. uh, The public has been exposed to biological weapons spray programs for decades, and there's no indication that those programs have ceased. Um, You will also recall in the U.K., I believe in the late 40s, early 50s, there was a cloud seeding uh, program that resulted in um, heavy rainfalls, flooding, and deaths, and a major outcry uh, in England against that program. So there certainly has been uh, a public record of clandestine spraying over uh, populated areas for many decades. So that is uh, is hardly new, and we can add that. Um, my inside sources uh, with military contacts are telling me that perhaps in one in a hundred missions, chemtrail missions, biological simulants are being added to the chemtrails to test the dispersion of uh, biological weapons at altitude. Uh, you might know that chemical and biological weapons uh, are commonly uh, dispersed at night, where they can't be degraded by sunlight, uh, they're not dispersed in rainy conditions. For the same reason, they're dispersed at low altitudes, generally, so that they cannot um, uh, be diluted by um, dispersing over the upper atmosphere. And this occurred during the um, first Gulf War, Desert Storm, uh, when the Iraqi military attacked. NATO, or uh, sorry, Allied positions at Al Jubail, Saudi Arabia, with chemical weapons. I describe and document that in my book, Bringing the War Home. So the idea of spreading them at high altitudes has not been um, feasible until recently, and by encasing these uh, bioagents in a polymer, uh, perhaps in long, thin strands, almost like spider webs. They can uh, resist weathering and be dispersed at high altitudes to cover a greater area. So that too, is a military application for the chemtrails program, and something that is designed to make people just sick enough to report to their doctor or to hospital so that um, the effects of this spraying can be tracked.
0: Yeah, I mean, okay. There. So we, we've we've touched on weather modification. We've touched on you know perhaps weaponry control, or we, you know, for useful weaponry. Um, but yes. I, is there a darker sort of side? Do you think to it? I mean, uh, could it be for other reasons that they're spraying the skies?
1: Well, certainly the internet has been filled for many years with speculation about population control, even going so far as to say this could be an attempt to cull the population. I'd have no evidence supporting those um, allegations uh in fact it would be a dangerous form of population control because it's so random you would be taking out um presumably your politicians your military people your managers uh the people needed to run your your state if you want to do pop- if you as a government want to do population control it has been shown over time that the most effective and precise way to do that is through vaccinations and we have some very good um, evidence that experimental vaccine programs um, have been aimed at just this end. So I don't disagree that control or elimination of certain segments of the population might be, might be on a political agenda. But that would be um, achieved most efficiently through vaccination, not through randomly spraying, deliberately spraying. Uh, biologicals continuously uh, over a populated area. I, bl- I feel, my opinion after many years of research is that the illnesses and deaths associated with chemtrail sprain are unintended consequences of these missions. And I will quickly add that because governments are fully aware of the widespread illnesses and deaths following in the wake of this spraying, and continue to do it they are now culpable for those injuries and deaths. That does become deliberate.
0: And what's been the feedback from uh, airline pilots? I mean, do do most airline pilots dismiss this, or um, are some quite open-minded to, um, you know, just to to think about it?
1: Some of my first reports came from uh, private pilots and professional pilots, and even today um, we have pilots uh, pretty well split on this issue. Some say, no, no, that's uh, condensation trails, and others saying, well, I've never seen um, anything like this before, and I've got photographs on the website of um, an air freight pilot pointing out the windscreen at these chemtrails at altitude and on his website saying, these are not normal contrails. I find it interesting to uh, read the remarks of a retired U.S. Air Force tanker pilot now, Lieutenant Colonel Den Ardinger um, said publicly that uh, when we dumped fuel, that is when the tankers had to dump fuel to lower their landing weights so they could come in for a landing, he said we never flew in a grid pattern. And, of course, they never flew a grid pattern over populated areas. Aircraft are not allowed to dump fuel over populated areas. So even he was concerned that what he was seeing and what was being reported was not how... Uh, tankers normally fly. We also have Major General Gregory Barlow, and uh, early in my investigations, he stated and this is uh, very curious tankers never fly high enough to form contrails, and if you think about it, it makes perfect sense because no tanker pilot is going to want to draw a big white arrow to an airplane uh, crammed with fuel in a combat situation. So tankers always fly below contrail forming altitudes. So when we see radar-identified tanker planes uh, flying at very high altitudes and forming contrails, again, this is not how um, tankers fly in their normal operations. And finally, I will again uh, direct listeners to willthomasonline.net and to uh, Chemtrails Confirm 2010, which is a downloadable electronic book, and you will see photographs of normal refueling booms on a U.S. Air Force tanker, and a close-up shot of a spray boom, an actual spray boom on a U.S. Air Force tanker, and they are very, very different. You can see that the spray boom could never be used to refuel another aircraft in flight.
0: Okay, now a bit of a change of subject here. Um, we've had a guest called Nick Beggech come on before to talk about HARP, the High Frequency Active Auroral Research Program. Uh, uh, now I'm led to believe that this this ties in very nicely with uh, the chemtrails. So could you just sort of take it from there and explain how this these two sort of technologies work together, or could possibly work together?
1: Sure. Now HARP, of course, is a very um, high energy radio transmitter up in Kokona, Alaska near where uh, Dr. Bagich hails from. I did go up there to speak and, and meet with him. And basically this transmitter is used to heat up the ionosphere, the, the cap over our planet, very highly electrically charged region, very unstable. And the idea was to move the jet stream around, which they are doing, causing all kinds of weather mayhem and other related experiments. If you want to uh, address weather locally or regionally you need a matrix at a lower altitude for harp to interact with otherwise it will just keep right on going through the atmosphere so i called up the inventor of harp bernard dr bernard eastland in texas and i asked him if it was possible that the uh, spider like polymers fragments or or filaments being spread by these tanker planes could be used with HARP to allow HARP to heat that part of the atmosphere and change weather patterns. And he said, uh, absolutely, those polymers, strands could be tuned. You could actually uh, buy certain uh, strands that would act to certain frequencies that HARP would react to. And interestingly, the companies offering those filaments are also based in Ohio. Uh, where Wright-Patterson Air Force is based. So the answer is that HAARP uh, uses uh, uh, the chemtrails maybe half a world away to bounce its very powerful uh, signal and um, interact with the atmosphere, even perhaps cause uh, earthquakes. So HARP, as the Lawrence Livermore scientists admitted at Wright-Patterson, when they talked to a Columbus Alive magazine, they said that Harp is definitely involved um, with some of these chemical spray programs. Uh, Also, and finally I might note, uh, people can pick up uh, my book or simply go online, willthomasonline.net and read my articles showing how when Katrina, Hurricane Katrina was approaching the Texan coast, um... Very large aircraft, uh, military aircraft flew into that hurricane and dropped uh, chemical filaments, a kind of chemtrail if you like, and HARP was used to um, heat those filaments and ground them uh, as a standing wave that um, rotated this hurricane shifted its course drastically so that it missed Texas and slammed into a Louisiana. You can look at those hurricane tracks and see that it made a very uh, abrupt and unexpected course change uh, approaching the coast of Texas. So there is evidence that um, HARP and a kind of chemtrails were used to direct um, or redirect, I should say, Hurricane Katrina. Interestingly, when the History Channel interviewed me a little over a year ago now, uh, and I made this allegation, they found another scientist who said to them that this was true, that HARP had been used to redirect Hurricane Katrina. And I finally note that in the years since then, despite uh, much warmer ocean temperatures that should be giving us uh, very many and very fierce hurricanes, and I'll note the forecast for the Caribbean this summer calls for more hurricanes than usual, we're not seeing any large hurricanes uh, off the uh, U.S. coastline bordering the Caribbean. Um, And I'm wondering, in fact, I'm pretty certain that harp is being used to um, tamp these hurricanes down
0: so it's it's not just weather modification though is it it's also um from what i've heard you know electromagnetic sort of super weapon as well
1: yes that'd be that would be definitely fair to say mm-hmm. uh, i don't know how much of the program uh is involved in that, but it certainly is an aspect of course, when anything this extensive is carried out, uh the people behind it would want to get would piggyback other programs on it to um uh, to maximize the the return on the project, so uh, electromagnetic weaponry is, and HARP are definitely an integral part of the chemtrail
0: project. And I, I believe there, there's a big HARP station based in Alaska, but there's also other ones that have sort of sprung up since then uh, in, in, in obviously different countries, different locations. But is, that, is that true?
1: Yes, in fact, there's many. Uh, I did some recent research and was amazed to find uh, harp, like though smaller, uh, harp transmitters in Puerto Rico, which we knew about, Germany, Norway, Australia, China. Uh, the list of countries is quite extensive, with um, similar and smaller transmitters, all aimed at experimenting with the ionosphere. But none of them come close to the power levels of the harp transmitter except the russian transmitter and i have an article on my website describing the effects of of the russian transmitter the russians and the americans have been at a kind of undeclared war for decades um, using these transmitters to uh, affect weather communications things like that and they're still um, in, a, in a kind of electromagnetic race if you will to develop these weapons
0: Well, on today's show, uh, on the page on our website, on the More Show, we'll make sure we have a link to your website and also... Uh, we'll put a picture up there of the HARP Alaska uh, antenna array yeah. just so people can have a sort yeah. of, well listeners can have a sort of understanding of how, how massive it, it is and, and uh, sort of what, what size uh, the, these antennas are so um, so uh, just going back to the, the chemtrails on a sort of last question uh, you know, uh-huh. it's very difficult for me to understand how a lot of these pilots and all the hundreds of people that must be involved in the chem spraying operation, you know, can sort of keep it a a, a secret as such and uh, you know, and, and also uh, would wouldn't worry about where those chemicals are being dispersed and is it near their family
1: Uh, that's right now i've been a member of the military and can tell you that um, pilots and air crews in particular have to sign secrecy oaths they're very strong and very powerfully legally binding oaths that would uh, result in grave consequences for themselves and their families if they divulged uh, classified information. That's the one thing. Military people have told me that even uh, stronger than that would be the peer pressure and the fact that if someone broke ranks, they would be ostracized from a community that holds itself apart from the civilian world, a very elite group of uh, uniformed individuals who would uh, uh, ostracize any one of their members who broke ranks on this issue. So we have legal ramifications and possibly even more dire uh, threats. We have the peer pressure of the military community itself. And we have the fact that uh, pilots and air crews, regardless of the mission, are invariably told this is for the protection of your country, the good of your country. Uh, This is to protect your own families. Um, This is a good thing. And military people need to believe this. They urgently and uh, almost desperately need to believe that what they're doing, uh, even if it involves war crimes, even if it involves spraying chemicals, uh, is somehow for the greater good, at least of their own people. So we have seen the undeclared chemical biological warfare I mentioned in Desert Storm. I reported on that. I was laughed at for many years. Ten years later... Ten years later, mainstream news sources starting to cover uh, this undeclared war and, of course, Gulf War illness and everything that came out of it and make the same connections and come up with the same documentation I had reported ten years earlier. So perhaps more of this uh, will start to come out. We are seeing more uh, mainstream television coverage in particular, some newspaper coverage, and, again, even those News agencies, with their tremendous resources and contacts, have not been able to get any pilots to come out and publicly, military pilots come out and publicly admit to this. Now, interestingly, at at air shows, um, people are always going up to uh, tanker pilots at air shows and asking them what's going on, and a typical response from these pilots Uh, not for public attribution, obviously, but a typical response is, yeah, we have them, but we're not supposed to talk about it. So pilots will admit to it uh, on a one-on-one encounter at something like an air show, uh, but they certainly are not going to go to the press and put their name and rank behind a statement like that.
0: Absolutely not, no, of course not, so uh okay, well, uh, just one quick thing, um, one mm-hmm. final thing is uh w- in the vicinity of our local recording studios, uh, we have a, a sort of local documenter that's been documenting these sort of uh, uh, cloud formations for a long while locally, and he contacted the uh, the program a few weeks ago, knowing that this uh, the show was going to come on. Uh, he goes by the name alias I believe of the Masked mouse, but we're, we're going to put his um YouTube videos embed them into, into this page for this show. Now, you've looked Mm -hmm. at his videos, and in your opinion, would you say the majority of those cloud formations, are they chemtrails?
1: I looked at that several times, looked at his video, and I would have to say, from my observations, that those are chemtrails. Many photographs and videos I see are normal contrails, as far as I can tell. These are different. He shows the X patterns. He shows these fuzzy, feathery edges that are a real giveaway of chemical trails in the sky. But most importantly is the date on his video, July 19th, 2010. And I can, I think, safely surmise that the temperature uh, at altitude on that uh, formerly clear day would be too warm to support condensation trails, and there would not be enough moisture in the sky to support normal contrails. Of course, that could actually be checked at the Met Office uh, by calling or going online and finding the temperature and humidity for, say, 30,000, 34,000, 36,000 feet and confirming that. But from what I saw and the date of that video, I would say those are definitely chemtrails.
0: I suppose the problem that he has when documenting these videos is that people don't want to look up in the sky, do they?
1: They won't look up even if you ask them to. That's quite, to me, quite startling. Even if if I have eight trails crisscrossing overhead and I go up to a group of people and say, look at that, even then they won't look up. But this is very, very dangerous technology. Uh, By suppressing global warming, if in fact it's working and global warming is going off the scales, um, global warming could be even worse than we suspect if these chemical trails are having any effect. And Ken Caldera, who did the climate modeling, and other scientists are very concerned that these chemtrails uh, and geoengineering in the sky will, quote, destroy the ozone layer by uh, lowering temperatures at altitude. And finally, uh, by allowing petroleum pollution to continue uh, and carbon emissions to increase. Of course, we are acidifying the oceans. The oceans are turning acid. Uh, This is not a good thing, folks. Uh, If the oceans turn acidic and three quarters of the planet is ocean, we're gone. Most species on Earth are gone. So um, a very, very dangerous program. We really have to cut carbon emissions and get on with sustainable green energy.
0: Do, do you think it's a man-made uh, problem, or do you think this is something to do with the the sun, solar flares and, and the increased activity of the sun happening?
1: It's certainly a part of it. I've looked very hard at the research. I read uh, uh, Jim Hansen's book, uh, Storms of My Grandchildren, recommend that book. He's one of the only scientists, uh, of course he's the guy who gave us the big warning on global warming, but he's one of the few scientists who actually... Admit that the sun does play a, a factor, but it's perhaps 3%. It's very minor. And he does talk about the uh, perturbations of the earth, the wobble of the earth's a- axis, and how um, this is also a factor to warming. But overwhelmingly, there is absolutely no scientific dispute that the kind and drastic degree and acceleration of warming we're seeing ties directly mathematically scientifically to the increase of carbon and similar greenhouse gases in the atmosphere so the sun signal if you like is a minor factor it is a factor but minor factor in warming and my standard response to people saying well it's the sun or it's the you know outer galaxy or the space aliens or whatever if something is warming the earth naturally No one's disputing that. Why in the world would we want to uh, make that worse? Why would we want to add to that danger? And so uh, I think that um, uh, it just makes common sense that if you increase a heat-trapping gas in a closed space, such as Earth's atmosphere, and shine, shine the sunlight on it, you're going to get warming. That's just common sense. So um, I don't think the polar bears or the penguins are disputing this. We could talk to them, perhaps.
0: Okay, well, uh, again, where can people reach you?
1: All right, people can uh, jump online to willthomasonline.net. You will find uh, on the menu Hot Topics. You go to the Chemtrails page. You can read uh, many free reports on uh, Chemtrails. There's sections on uh, climate change, climate shift, and, of course, my book, Chemtrails Confirmed 2010. You can uh, purchase that as a direct download from the website or send for the DVD, which actually includes uh, source documentations, uh, links, and a video.
0: Well, William, thank you so much for your time today, and uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on.
1: Kevin, thank you for bringing this to people's attention. Appreciate that.
0: To find out more on William Thomas, go to www.themoreshow.co.uk and look up William Thomas under Past Guests. Well, until next time, be safe.